You're listening to Hell Yoshi Did It Podcast with Yoshi Obayashi, Chris Gore, and Tana Manu. So, thanks for listening to Yoshi Din Podcast. We're, myself and my friend Tana Minu, we're driving to San Francisco today. And once again, I apologize. Audio is never going to be good with this. I have limited amount of budget. I'm doing it myself and assisting of uh, Ernie doing the audio. But 100% my fault for audio problems, so I apologize. And especially on this particular episode, we're driving. So you probably hear additional sounds. But anyway... Um, if it bothers you, then uh, yeah, I hate to say it, but don't listen to it. But this is a casual conversation, so I hope you guys like it. We'll probably try to put two to three episodes per week, hopefully within a month and a half or so. Um, it will be with Tana Manu and my friend Chris Gore. So this is the first episode on the road. All right, Tana. My friend Tana Manu is a very close friend of mine. I met him through stand-up comedy years ago in Seattle, Washington. And... He's tremendous. He's one of my closest friends. Somebody that I think is one of the funniest guys I ever met, and very underrated as someone who、uh, likes to think a lot. And it's a really fun person to hang out and talk to. So,、um, anyway, here's Tana Manu. So, Tana, how, how's it going?、Uh, it's going great. Too bad about it, your sound. But,、um, you know, people, <laughs> it's going to be good. So, you know, I understand. Without a, you know, it's hard to, this stuff. So, anyway, it's great to be here. <laughs> Uh, this is going to be a lot of fun, and、um, we're heading north on I 5. Thanks. All right, so.、Um, There goes my five uh, fan base. <laughs>、uh, I was joking with the sound, of course. All right, so. Well, let me. Let, I, I know who you are and how funny you are, but I, I just want to talk, you know, questions, a bunch of questions for you today. So, you know, obviously, most audience can't see. Who you are, but you're、yes. half white, half Samoan. Yes. So let's, let's talk a little bit about your background. You, you were born, born Samoan in the States. No, I was born in the States. I was born in a little town in the Northwest, in Washington State, and it was called McClary, Washington. A little farming town where my grandparents on my mother's side, the white side, had some land. The rice side. Whoa. The white side and the right side.、Mm-hmm. Um, p- uh, politically, meaning, of course, you,、yeah. mean, you mean, you know, conservative. No. Yes, and then my father's from Western Samoa,、uh, an island called Savai'i, which is the kind of the furthest west island of the Samoan chains. Can you explain it to everyone? Because I think it's a one island, but it's divided by Samoa and U.S. territory. Yeah, there's a few different islands. There's a Polu, there's a Savai'i, you know, there's.、Um, oh, so actually, there's one island specifically for all American. Territory? Yes. Okay. There's American Samoa and Western Samoa, and those are two separate island、uh, groups. So the Western side was, is now independent, but is kind of friends with New Zealand.、Mm-hmm. They were once a Commonwealth of Great Britain. When we lived there in the mid 70s, I believe it's, I, re- I remember the Queen was on the money and stuff. So, there was something to do with England at that time. So,、okay. that's where I come from. My father from、uh, the South Pacific, Western Samoa, and then my mother,、uh, maiden name Hansen, 
she comes from kind of Norwegian. What kind of white is she? Norwegian English stock. Okay. Yeah. So yeah. Didn't didn't meet in what? Samoa, right? No, they met in Utah when my mother was a freshman in college at BYU. Was she, was she born and raised as a Mormon? Yes. She's uh, in the Mormon church. And my father was also... Uh, they converted when he was a child. And his father, my grandfather on my father's side, converted to Mormonism in Samoa. Before you continue, what is it about Mormons and Polynesian so, pictures? Is it has something to do with the football program? Well, it became the football program once they realized how that, big they are. yeah, how big and how the, there's a strange, there's a strange size and speed combination that sort of doesn't match the physics mm-hmm. of human beings, and that's why Polynesians, you know, there's there's a high school in Samoa, I think it's Manua, um, who have turned out 17, 16, 17, something like that NFL players. If you can imagine that. I read programs in Texas. Yeah. I I read this article in GQ, GQ magazine, and they're talking. It was it's like football issue. Yes. And I read it. I think I'm I'm pretty sure I'm right. Samoans create so many NFL players, National Football League, the most popular sports in America. They were saying the ratio of Samoans producing football players literally like. One every five thousand Samoans make it yeah. to the National Football League. It's actually a percentage point. It's a full point. It's like quite amazing to say that take an entire race of people and an actual full single like two three percent mm-hmm. of the entire race makes it into the NFL. Yeah, is <laughs> is pretty crazy. But yes, there is that the religions, especially the Mormon Church. The reason why there are a lot of Polynesians who are Mormons because the Mormons got there first. You know, they got there early. The Baptists got there early. The Mormons got there early. I believe the Protestants. I think the Catholics missed out. Very few Catholic Polynesians, if you notice. Is that right? They're just they just came late to the party. You know who uh, Troy Palomalo is? Russian Orthodox or Greek Orthodox? It's really strange. Is now. he? Is he really? Yeah. That may have something to... I think he, he may have converted become some really good white pussy. You know what I'm saying? I'm in this motherfucker. I uh, think... It's funny you say that because I I, I I could be wrong, but my understanding, he converted because his wife was... Yeah. One of the Orthodox Greek... Since we, since we have very similar hair, I'm going to have to agree with the uh, being converted by the wife. There you go. This hair isn't Catholic hair. It's not for the Catholics. But we will loan it to them... If, you know, if we love them and if we marry them, which Palomalu must have done. Like, this hair also doesn't work well under a yarmulke, for instance. It's freedom hair. It By the way, Tana's got very long, nice hair. Um, it's like, it's Palomalu-ish, yeah. yeah it's about three, my hair's about three feet long and weighs about four pounds. <laughs> <laughs> so, going back, for those of you who listen to this show, not familiar with college football which is a massive uh, event in the states there's nothing bigger than high school football in, in, in America yeah, college especially football Texas. and uh, uh, professional so, levels it's, it's, it's huge yes. Samoans are incredibly nice people disciplined and you're right they're huge yet they're strong and quick 
they, 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 they have an <laughs> uh, unbelievable deadly combination, and uh, I'm, I'm a big fan of them in uh, football. So, uh, so later on, the, because Mormons do have universities, they, they, they take advantage of the fact that they're converting Samoans and Tongans yes. and other large Polynesian people. It helps in football program, but in the beginning, at least, it was for good reasons. Just, you know, more bodies. You know, religions, that's why religions hate abortions, because they need bodies. They need kids. They need brains to indoctrinate. They need people to brainwash. So going to indigenous people, going to native people, mm -hmm. is always a sure kill. Because for one, you know, you can just crush them with political will and money and all of that. So they try. So either you coerce them or you offer them free stuff or maybe nice to them. Yeah, you know how they do in Africa. It's yeah. like, we'll give you some Band-Aids and some mosquito nets, but every single piece of your income give to us. It's that kind of trade-off. And so... So you told me a very interesting story about how your grandfather converted and created a lot of problems for him. And, and, and it was potentially a horrible yeah, they, for your dad. So can you explain to everyone? My, did, you, did you know your grandfather's name? My grandfather, Saleh. Um... Mm -hmm was a Baptist minister, I believe. It was Baptist. And, and, yeah, it was Baptist, and he converted to Mormonism. Do you know so in, the, in detail, like, uh, how did that happen? Why? The missionaries, I guess, got to him, and he, he found something compelling about the story. Mm -hmm. You know, remember, there are certain cultures that are easier to sort of religiously breed you know they're already based in family they're already based in heritage and history they're already based in you know the love of children and ancestor worship and so when you add a religion that has a lot to do with that many kids family life structure then you know certain cultures already match and the Samoan culture the Polynesian cultures really match when you're talking about honor, duty, faithfulness, family. That's why they make great military people and great there's lot, athletes. There's a lot of them in the Marines. Yeah. Yes. it's They don't have other agendas. They're very clearly sort of honest with what they say they'll do. And if they say they're going to join the Marines yeah. and they'll listen to what they're told, they, that's what they're there to do. If they're, if they're here at this, um, you know, NFL camp and... They're being coached a certain way and being told to put out a certain effort. They always do. You know, there's something about the culture that they take great pride in um, sort of listening and understanding and learning. And they don't take any, uh, there's no ego involved with being a good listener and, and being a good servant. Uh, you know, providing good service. Yeah. There's a lot of pride in that for our culture. And that's what makes them, you know good athletes to train that's what makes them good you know military personnel it's what makes them generically just good employees in general um so 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 going back so your grandfather converted to mormonism yes and there the, was a, there was an incident in the village yes the village chief was not the same religion and so said you know you have to be religion that i am well my grandfather refused and so a mob was formed to burn all of my family's homes in in those days it's still kind of the same way in Samoa you would have that the place where you would cook the place where you would sleep maybe there was a meeting area and these are all different houses or what they would call fales yeah and so um, it's fale this fale that um, 
Falewila's the bathroom, Falemeli's the the post office. Yeah. So they would come and they would burn the houses down, and they would threaten the family with, "We're going to burn you up because right. you're not the religion that the chief is." So my grandfather told my dad and all my aunts and uncles, his whole family, to go get on their like sort of Sunday best, their white shirts, their best pants, even though they would have been a wrap, a lava lava. Yeah. And go stand in front of the fire and get ready to get tossed in. And so they all did. And they all stood there in front with all their best clothes on, waiting Wait, to... Wait, so did the rest of the family knew what was going on? Yes. They, 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 they knew that they might get burned yes. alive. Yes, this is, and it was my grandfather's call. And it, if the blood that runs through me <laughs> says, if there's too many people around, there's so much force... And the choice is freedom or death, always death. Always death. <laughs> <laughs> so... Wait, wait, but let me ask you, how old was your dad when he was hearing this stuff? About nine. Ten. So, okay, let me... Okay, okay. Ten. So, let me, okay, so here. If I was a nine-year-old kid, and if I'm smart enough to know what's going on, I'm hearing my dad basically telling the chief, elder chief, that... They're telling us if he doesn't re, what, what do you call it, reconvert back to whatever the yes, order, yeah, they're um, gonna burn us alive. Mm-hmm. Well, Tina, my reaction like, Dad, what the fuck are you doing? You're gonna get us killed. Yes, and most people. What was would your think, dad? What, what, did, did your dad ever tell you what was? No, to him it was that's the decision of the parent because what what, what my grandfather, what his father was saying is. They, he knows that they're say, he expects them to send the kids away. Oh well, let, take my let my children and my wife go. Just take me. Yeah. I'm the only one. You know. Instead, it says you you have to stand up for everything that's yours. How was the family created by my grandfather and my grandmother? And to say you have to now obey me with all of the things that you have, all yeah. of your family, children. Sorry, we all die together. Because you don't even want your children knowing that about you. That say, take the children and the wife away. I'll die by myself. The lesson really is, children, you all die together. Don't let anyone scare you into separating each other yeah. and to splitting up the family. And there are very difficult situations when we hear about these warlords in Africa where the mother only has a choice to take one or two children out of her four children. You know, out of this camp and well, run away. That's, that's Sophie's choice, if you've ever seen a movie. Yes. And so, women will usually choose, or the man, you know, or actually generally the women, will choose the, you know, the weaker, more vulner vulnerable child and save them. Meanwhile, the men, men have a different issue with that. We look at all four of our children, there isn't a way to decide for a man. They didn't come out of our body. We don't have a clinical sense of it. Either we all get saved kids or we all die together, says the man. The man struggles with, um, all right, Johnny, good luck to you. Sally, <laughs> Sally, hopefully, you know, try to get as much fruit as you can. Drink water. All right, we're, we're going to take little Lenny and we're out of here. See, it's not really... So, so your, your dad wasn't angry when he was making this decision? No. And actually proud that... That's the stance that you want your father to take because yeah. that's the stance that you want to take for your father. But let me ask you this. When you heard... 
I don't know when, how old you were, but eventually your dad told you this story, right? How old were you? I would go, I heard this story all through my life. My father, the, the Mormon church would have him. But what was your first reaction when you heard the story? That it was crazy. Yeah. That I would, my, the visions in my mind mm-hmm. of children dressed in white, yeah. lined up around a bonfire, right, waiting to die. And then the father of those children daring these MFs to do it. I remember as a kid thinking, what a scene that must have been. That here's a father who dressed his children up and said, if you can throw these angels into these flames, then do it. Because you own the planet then. Then this is your world. If we live in a place where we can throw babies <laughs> dressed as well as they could right. into flames into fire to scream and yell and to die then do it if you can do that you need to do it and that's the challenge my grandfather made to this mob and it was the best shield to send the children away you send the protection away you send away the whole point for the story yeah it's easy to kill some some angry bitter dude they'll hang a dude but I dare you to throw these babies into the so fire. So a- afterward, obviously they, obviously it didn't happen because you're here. The the, the elder yes. made a decision not to do that. But the what, but, but government how- came. No, no, they were still going to do it. But the um, at the time, I believe it was English. The, the, uh, Britain probably was, uh, you know, in charge. It was like, like I said, it was a a Commonwealth or what do they call? What do we call Puerto Rico and Guam? U.S. territory. Territory. So it was like a territory of uh, Great Britain, I believe, at the time. So anyway, the authorities showed up. Basically, the cops got there. Yeah. And boom. You know, thank goodness the guns won in that case. What, so, did, what did your grandfather think? Was this like a divine intervention? It was, of course. There's that sense that we were saved. Mm-hmm. We stood our ground mm-hmm. and we were saved. And I know that the Mormon church really wants to take this story and make it theirs. This is not a story about religion. This is a story about freedom. And even though I heard this story dozens of times and would travel with my father when yeah. he would give the speech and he would give the story, many, many times I would go with him. There'd be long drives out to these... Did you ever meet your grandfather? No, he died before we were born. In fire. I know. In a, <laughs> you know you know what's ironic? He fell into a chimney. Holy <laughs> God, so... Um, yeah, no, he um, just was old. But we never... Um, Got so, to meet him. So, so how long did your dad live there? He was nine. He didn't. He eventually moved to Hawaii for missionary work. That was in his. Uh, when you turn nineteen, you go on a mission for the church. Now, at the time, is it mandatory in Mormon church? Not really, but you know, it's it's a huge benefit. The, the same way a university degree is not mandatory. Yeah. But it's definitely going to put you somewhere in the eyes of your society. So. Going on a mission in the Mormon Church definitely raises your worth and your marrying ability and and your ability to get jobs and et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of pressure to go um, on a mission. But but back then, the church had what they called service missions, where they would uh, it was kind of a slavery program. They would take the labor of these young men for free. Under wait, wait, the, hold on. Did they send the white Mormons to missionary, like, trying to convert 
Yes. Did they send on Mormons to go overseas and convert? Or is there only white Mormons only doing that? No, yes, they send both. There are Samoan missionaries that work in Samoa and Hawaiian missionaries and vice versa. And of course they're going to use those guys because they have the language and the culture and it's a, I, I think it's an easier sell. For whatever reason, the Mormon church decided to send your dad for service mission to Hawaii. Well, the reason is he was a skilled person. He was a carpenter already. He had a, uh, a well-paying government job. He had already done a two-year service mission for the church. So he had already worked for two years. He didn't get paid either, did he? You don't get paid. Okay. Um... So then, now remember, he didn't just get to ride a bike around and knock on doors. He worked, hammer, nails, working, every day, real work. Then he was called, I just made air quotes, he was called to a service mission on Oahu in Hawaii to build the Polynesian Cultural Center, the sort of Disneyland um, resort, uh, I, I guess I... I don't know what they would call it all the way. It's like a heritage center for the different cultures and islands of the South Pacific. The second time he's doing the service, he's not getting paid either. They're not getting paid there. So he worked there for three years. So total five Uh, years. Yes. So, you know, he's obviously from different era from ours. But if if I was a member of that, my reaction would have been like, what the fuck? I have to do another mission? I did this bullshit for two years. I had to do another goddamn yep. three years? It's because of religion. You know, he did it without complaining. Well, you know, I don't know how much complaining he did. You know, they... they mm-hmm. It's... it's you, When you're indoctrinated into this and you you know it as a child and everyone around you is supporting you, right. you can feel like this is something responsible for you to do. This is something that's pleasing my parents and the other people around me. That... I would go and show dedication and show service. Again, it's already built into our culture that we are made for this type of like duty. And you know, if no one else can do it, call the Samoans. You know, there there is that kind of attitude. So, and it's what they manipulate and it's what they use. And he went for the next three years mm-hmm. and built the Polynesian Cultural Center along with just a handful of other guys. And and for, for those of you who have never been to Hawaii or never seen the Cultural Center, I think, wasn't it in a scene from one of, a, one of Elvis's movie? Oh, yeah, it was a huge part of it, and I think it was Blue Hawaii. The okay. drums of the islands are beating in my heart. They're with me wherever I roam. <laughs> that, <laughs> right. That's that song from that. Um, I think it'll be cool seeing the center, yeah. Yeah, he's in there. So my dad watching that, it's hilarious because he was like, there's there's Tony. Oh, look at this. Atta. Oh, look at that. There's the, the all, He knew all everyone playing the drums that was in the show yeah. because he had just worked there. He had just built the whole thing. And by the time Blue Hawaii came out, it, it had only been a, a few years after it was finished. So it was, it was quite fresh. I think, I think it was finished like 63 or something. Okay. And Blue Hawaii was 65, 66 or something like that. So... You know, my dad took part in that, and a lot of other young Polynesian men took part in that. Sure. Now they don't do it anymore. It's too uncomfortable for the church to do that anymore. They, they, when they build churches, when they build temples, they now hire contractors and pay them. But for a while, when they were on the islands and nobody was watching, they pimped these boys. They took, they literally, they, they took their lives from them. They took their service and their duty. And they took it from them just to build an amusement park for Mormons. And it's a, 
you know, it's a, it's a pretty radical story. It only happened in the 60s, but when you go to the Polynesian Cultural Center, you know, it was built off of slave labor, off of unpaid. Sometimes people think slave, saying slave is trying to be too controversial. So we can just say unpaid and bring it down. It was built on unpaid labor. It was built on blessings for the workers. So basically what you're saying when you say blessing, things like that, yeah. they literally said to your dad, I received a message from Lord or some bullshit. Yes, like you've that. been called. Yes, then, yes, yeah. 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 The they, God, literally, they literally say, Yes. God, Jesus, Joseph Smith. Who yes. Joseph Smith happened to be the leader of the yeah. Mormon church. Somebody. Somebody contact whoever contact your dad and saying, I've been notified <laughs> by divine so and so. Exactly. Ask you to, you know, bless, sweat, and tear right. for five years of your life for free. Yes. Because the Lord Jesus. Because, yes, the Lord wants you. I mean, yeah. and that's the propaganda. That's that's the brainwashing is the Lord wants you. You've been called. This is not me. Listen, you can say no to the church if you want to, but you're really saying no to God. Yes. You're really saying, I want to put one foot in hell. You're really saying that I spit on my family. You're really saying, I mean, it's it's an amount of pressure to put on a young man from these environments. It's It's vicious. It's cool hand Luke. You know, it's it's really, really wrong. And these were educated white people in this church that pulled it off. And like I said, they just weren't being watched. This is Hawaii in the 60s. So no one gave an F. And these people got there first. They bought the land. Then you could cuss on this thing. Okay. Yeah, no, I'm, sometimes I will. But so the, I, I just feel like, it, you know divine whatever intervention you want to call it they could still contact you I think you the church providing them with a minimum amount of money still would have been alright but the fact that you didn't pay anything just to come back because right after mission they're on their own they're on their own yeah thanks um, just, not, like, just like someone spending 10 years of their prison time when they're released they have no money nothing and, and remember we're talking about a handful meaning a couple hundred less of, of people that built that place. How about a lifetime pass for you and your family? How about anything? How about a placard? How about a picture of everyone that did it? So there's just nothing to say how that whole thing was built. Yes. And I, the church doesn't want you to know how it was built. They, they, they play it inside the bubble of their religion mm -hmm. as... It was this great, blessed... You know, they talk about how all the saints volunteered. The saints showed up. We didn't know if it was going to work or not. It was losing money for the first month. But these Polynesian saints gave of their time and their money. And they saved it for the Lord. Thank you, saints. And it's, it's that kind of talk when you're in the church. That's how they talk about the project. Now, you know, I've known you for a long time. And... You and I, we both love jokes and material that is controversial. But yes. part of the reason is because we do both come from, well, at least half of your culture comes from culture where people rather keep their mouth shut, allow terrible things happen to themselves or yes. groups of people because those kinds of conversations never encourage. And it's not because we're some malicious or mean people, but really the big part of what motivates us is we feel like there's a group of people been taken advantage or been mistreated and they're just afraid to talk about it. Like, I remember you even talk, talking to me years ago. You were working Chicopee Chick, 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 Massachusetts. Yes. You were doing a, a Polynesian dance crew 
Yes. They're underpaying you guys and living in a condition yes. that was not appropriate. And all you basically said like, are we not being mistreated? Can we be treated better? Should we get paid more? Yes. And whoever was in charge of that dance troupe basically saying like you're a troublemaker. Yes. And like knock it off and you know, you're not welcome here. It was, it was, it was pretty ugly. What, what I found out was what we were making was okay. And they provided a place to live, which was not that nice of a place. And we were all crunched together in this house. You know, all of the entertainers lived in from the basement to the top floor were crunched in this house. And my room didn't have a door on it. it one had to be put on. It had a it had like a, a towel or something over it. Okay. And so we start. I start doing the shows with them. I don't mind the pay. I agree to the pay. But when I ask them, what did they used to get paid? that now this is the pay, which I thought was pretty low. Okay. They had been doing the show for about five years. They said, this is the same pay that they've always gotten for five, for the whole time they've been here, okay. right? So I said, okay, maybe that's still okay. It seems like we're doing a lot of shows. How many shows did you first start doing? Originally, about half. So what I found out was, they used to do half of the number of shows five years ago, and they got a few hundred dollars a week. The shows have now doubled. They also change the show four times a year, seasonally, so that retired people, local people, can come back again and again and repatronize the showroom because there's a new show. That changing of the choreography and those new costumes, the dancers paid for themselves. Now, once I found all this out, how can the shows have gotten doubled and the money didn't change. How can you now request that new costumes and new choreography come four times a year and you don't give them more money? I could not believe what these Chinese people were pulling off. They were the ones who owned this hooky lao. Yeah. I've done shows there with David Hell. Yes, and I was there with uh, um, Dana Carvey, Dennis Miller. It's one of the only showrooms. In Chicopee, Mass. In Central Mass, yeah. So you brought this issue, which is fair enough, because yes, you, you, you're basically getting way less money because you're doing more twice as twice as much work. I, I feel like I had gathered legitimate complaints, complaints, mm-hmm. and then I asked the wait staff, who's been here, who's been here, one year, two year. So I found the four or five people who had been there five years plus. Okay. And I asked them, how long you've been waiting tables? How long you've been the cook? Six years. Okay. Forget six. Go back five. What were you getting paid? Uh, I remember it was this. Okay. Is it exactly what you're getting paid now? There's laughter. Of course not. <laughs> what? Five years later? You think I would be the cook for five years and never got another dollar an hour? Or I mean, it's everyone I asked, are you making the same that you made five years? It's a joke. They laugh at me. Yeah. So I take all of this to the owner. And I said, you don't have one employee here. The owner, the Chinese people? Yes. Yeah, okay. I took it to the woman who was like the daughter, the, the, the family that owned it. Yeah. So the older, okay, yeah. So you know the woman, she's much older now. This was year, This was 20 years ago. And I talked with her and I sit down and said, I want to meet with you. And I said, I don't know what's going on here. But obviously what you've been doing here with this group is just unrighteous. This is about compensation for what these people are doing and I'm doing. You want more shows? You've added more shows? They were adding these Mother's Day bus tours. Mm-hmm. We were getting up to three, four, even five shows a day. It was nuts. An hour and a half a show. And so when you're doing four shows a day, you're talking about eight hours solid of like 
like try to do that like running in place. Okay. It's it's a huge effort. And all these shows are being added up and there's no more money talk. They're, the last time they talked about money was five years ago. Let me guess, after you talk to the Chinese people, uh, let me guess, they talk to whoever's yep. head of your uh, yep. Salmon group yep. and he or she started like cussing at you. Yep, and said, "Get." I'm sure they said, get this guy out of here. So he, we had a meeting among the dancers. Everyone came, well not everyone, but the leader came down on me. You don't know what you're talking about. You ruined it. You've got everyone upset. You're, and I told them, I'm just trying to like compel you guys with what I found out. Right. They're laughing at you. This is a joke. If you say we're going to leave tomorrow, they will pay you whatever you want. Trust me. Trust me. And they couldn't believe it. They couldn't believe it. They thought, no, no, they're going to find 12 other Samoan entertainers, musicians, and dancers... Who will live in this little house for the same money, Tana? We can't go anywhere. They'll replace us easily, and so I'm sure. I'm sure. I'm sure the people who listen to the show could make. Uh, you know, I'm sure they know that eventually this kind of talks re- results in yeah, really positive. So well, it's because what, what happened uh, because they didn't do what you asked them to do, right? No, so, no, I, I left. Did it? That was it. I was gone. It was too much drama. It wasn't like leave the group or you're kicked out, but it was like, this is a problem. Like, basically... They don't want trouble. The leader is saying, you will never get another dollar and I will never grow the balls to ask for any. So I had to go. What they're saying is, Tana, make the choice now. This might get to four shows a day, seven days a week. You might have to cut off your little finger. They may need one of your eyeballs. And you will never get another penny. Do you understand? Yes, I do. Goodbye. <laughs> so you just have to leave situations like that and know that it sucks for people to be manipulated like that. But it happens. So I used to work in that. But I've danced my whole life in, you know, my cultures. Yeah, you do fire dance. Yes. Haka, which is like what it was. Slap the dance, the fatalbaki, the... The war dance. Yeah, the haka... You do the stand-up comedy? Stand-up comedy. I've written and performed stand-up for many years. So there's yes. last... There's, it's, I'm an artist. So you... you Hello. Do, you do face a lot of... Um, I mean, situations like that. And believe me, I face the same way too. You're dealing with people who are doing terrible things to your group. But you also have to deal with... Within the group you're a part of. Yes. That the dissension, right? Like, this isn't like you're causing problems or whatnot. Yeah, that's what... That's what's hard about standing up for yourself. That's why slavery happens. That's why, you know, violations of civil rights. That's how, you know, they they put bugs on our phones. Little things start to creep up. And if you don't mention it, if you don't say you're annoyed, if you don't scratch that itch, it's just going to, that rash is going to grow and grow and grow. And in life, as I'm getting older now, I'm 42, but my waist is 31. Um... (laughs) You know, it's like, it gets more and more fun to be an asshole, to stand up for yourself. Fuck you, right? I have a truck and a saw and a hammer. Eat my shit. It's like, it gets more fun only because we're probably going to die in a couple decades. It's like, um, I like it. I like stirring it up. I like calling out abuse. I like calling out unfairness. I like picking on bullies. I mean... Don't you? Isn't this what kind of this podcasting is about? Like showcasing worldwide um, 
dramas, unfairness, and dealing with the people that are there, you know, people that are trying to work in women's issues in the Middle East, people that are trying to deal with China and Tibet, people that are like, you know, in London, uh, trying to figure out what to do with Sharia law and all this stuff. Like, I love all that. I love calling out, you know, um, I guess I don't injustice. I guess I don't understand because, you know, I, I'm not religious and never been part of any religious group. And for your dad to just work five years of hard labor and not to complain and, you know, I, I don't understand it. I well, there's a lot of, you know, I wouldn't, they, I wouldn't say that what your dad did was like stupid or anything like that, but I just. I just don't understand that. Yeah, it, no, it's you can't really unless you're in the propaganda. You know, if you're in the bubble. Because, oh, you guys can go play a little rugby tomorrow. You know, oh, there's a tennis court. You know, keep the long pants on, though. That kind of thing. It's like there's a sense that, oh, yeah, you can do a little bit. You know, yeah. you get an hour of recreation every day. And then the encouragement from every... Oh, you're doing such a good thing. You know, you good, you know the Lord is really appreciating you right now. Boy, are you stacking up your blessings. And so everybody's coming down and you're looking around and you're a young man and you see the happiness and the pleasure you're creating. And at the same time, you're leaving a lot of craftsmanship behind. When did, when did you realize this doesn't sound right to you? I know your dad's devout. And how when are, my dad... Was, was your mom pretty devout? Yeah, they were both in the church. We were we were serious early on. It was it was morning prayer, hymns, songs, evening songs, evening prayer. It was a family home evening every Monday. It was church on Sunday. Tuesday was some youth activity. Wednesday was Boy Scouts. Thursday was some volunteer work. We we're gonna go help a a widow with her garden. You know, Friday was some sort of fun activity, maybe a, sure. a, a a youth dance, and then Saturday was like we would we would have a maybe a, a camping thing. You know, it was just like it's all your life is is the religion and the people inside of it, and so it it was pretty heavy and serious. But after a while, when you move on through the Mormon Church and you're brown and your family doesn't have a lot of money and they're not educated, you feel it at every turn how everyone deals with you they just they just think it's unfortunate that they're you're in their pews you know they just really wish you weren't there once again so when did you know what age and you thought this is bullshit or did you think it was a bullshit i thought early on my father should have had a much higher role mm -hmm. in the church um leadership positions from what he'd gone through his pedigree in the church i always thought why isn't he chosen to be higher his devotion his piety his, the way he leads his family in the church, mm -hmm. I would think that not many other fathers had this type of discipline with their family and their religion. But can, be, but can you explain to people like why is it so important to be higher rank in church? Is it some kind of financial compensation? Oh, of course, everything matters. You know, the higher you get up, the, the more deals you make. There's a lot of kids. What do you mean deals? Like, well, the church give you money or something? Um, they do have a fund that if there's families that need help there is there is money that they divvy out to help families and okay. there's a there's an internal welfare system that the church has but you're going to be you know asked to give and participate more when you're poor in the church okay um because oh we can help you with our welfare system but would you mind working in the cannery for three days would you mind going do clothing inventory in the mall 
would you so there's actual work you're actually performing work that normally people would get a salaried or a wage a payment for I see but you're doing it because you're giving back to the the savings of the welfare system that you've that you've taken from so it's like the poor people have a lower rank in the Mormon church and they provide a lot of the grunt work for the Mormon church they run the Deseret Industries they run the thrift stores they run the canneries um, they run recycling programs the, so the, the poor people in the Mormon church are the workhorses of the Mormon church the rich people in the Mormon church take the money from those people to run the church so it's a big you know it's a big business and if you're not white you're never going to be somebody important because it's important to be white for the Mormons when they look in their pews wait can you um can you explain to people, you told me there's something within the Book of Mormon, they basically said God punished the wicked with coloring of their skin. Remember that story you told me? Yes, there's, I think different religions have this kind of like the son of Ham, you know, a dark skin curse. And definitely the Mormons have theirs. Uh, in the Book of Mormon, it's going to be, I think, Second Nephi chapter 20. Chapter 5, verse 25, or chapter 25, verse 5. You might have to reverse those. Anyway, the wording is... Can you paraphrase it? Yes, that these people were white, exceedingly fair in the sight of the Lord, exceedingly beautiful. And beautiful and fair has always meant to mean white skin. And then a certain group turned evil. Their leader was named Laman. Laman, went. he turned evil... Was and it, Ivanic Valeri. Is it really? That's funny. And so, he turned evil, and all his followers turned evil with him. These become, became known as the Lamanites, the followers of Laman. Mm -hmm. They were cursed with the dark skin so that God, you know, everyone could separate them and see who was, who was evil and he wasn't, who wasn't. And God told them, do not mix with these, these uh, cursed people, these cursed dark-skinned people. Tana, was Paula Dane Mormon? Um... If she wasn't, they would honorarily make her one, probably. No, I, I think she's more, she's not quite Mormon. She's more like Southern old school Dixie racist. Yeah. Mormons are kind of a, we have, we've been blessed better racist. It's a, it's a little bit of a different racism. We'll, we'll continue on with that. But yes. I Paula Dean knows she's right because blacks are monkeys. Uh, <laughs> Mormons know they're right because God told them that black people are bad. So it's a softer racism. Paula Dean knows that they're apes from Africa. Jesus Christ. But Joseph Smith just thought, nah, you know, they're just uh, white people dipped in shit. So <laughs> it's, a, it's, a, it's a kindler, gentler racism. No. Uh, but anyway, um, before you're going back, I think the biggest crime... A uh, terrible thing about apologies really when it comes out it's not, it's not even that racist stuff which yeah. is it's some you know she's 60 whatever year old from southern whatever they say stuff like that whatever yes. I don't really give a shit but her promotion of fatty food it's, yes. it's, you know we always talk about this thing about shootings at schools and stuff. it's terrible don't get me wrong I'm not against gun ownership this and that I, I know exactly me, where you're going but, but to me Heart disease and uh, overweight—that has killed more people. And here she is. I think she's yeah. diabetic, she, and she hit her diabetic problem, or whatever. Um, you know. 
Well, here's oh, what uh, preventing people from knowing. But to me, her biggest crime by Paulina is the fact that she's promoting those horrible yes. food when most Americans are overweight, and you're, it, you're, it, 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 kill, it kills more people than anything else. No, you're right, and I think the outrage should have been higher and sooner with to do with her diet and her choice of food. You're right. It's almost like they're saying, Paula Dean, go ahead and give black people diabetes so they can get their feet cut off and die early, but you better not call them niggers. God! What? I thought you said we could say anything. Yes. Okay. All right. Um, no, isn't that what we're kind of upset at her about? Yeah. We're not mad that she's adding to the diabetes epidemic of black people. We're, no one even gave a, a fork about that. True. Now we're upset because she said a word. Oh, now she needs to get out of our, our culture. Okay, now? I, but anyway. Um, no, you're right. Her cooking has probably killed more people than <laughs> yes. an N-word. But me, people are only concerned with N-word over, you know killing black people. And I'll tell you, here's a here's a little bit of a defense for, for, for my sister Paula, okay? Yes. When you're trying to be funny, right, Yoshi, we're professional funny guys. Yes. Holy shit. When you're trying to be funny, can you really fuck up and not say what you meant? Man, is it easy. It is. Oh, it you. takes years to get good at that, to really give the audience the type of clarity and comprehension you want while you're being a smart ass and saying cuss words. It's not easy to do. And she was trying to, they show that clip of, look at this black man standing up against a black wall. I can barely see this black man against a black wall. She was attempting to be funny in the most basic sense and totally effed up. But in the end, it's not hard to do. I think this is the most difficult part for people who are not black people when they try to be, um, you know, goofing around and saying those words. It's hard to do it right. It's hard to do because it's not, what you're saying well yeah that counts too but it's it really helps who's saying what because Quentin Tarantino could use 180 n-words yeah whatever the movie he's making this week and he'll make 200 million yeah, whatever. Oscar yeah Oscar nomination because it's nuanced thing you know and like remember yes. years ago when somebody complained I, I could be wrong but uh, what's her name the Latina singer Jennifer uh, Superstar Lopez Lopez I think somebody got mad at her for supposedly saying the n-word in some music and a bunch of black guys defended her because well, when you're hot and have a body like that, who's, what black guy's going to complain about that? Yes. And, and and somebody like Jennifer saying it, it's not coming from a bad place, but somebody else is saying it. Yes. I have, you know, uh, we both know comedian from Seattle, Travis Simmons. He has a great joke on Jennifer Lopez adding the N-word to one of her songs. Mm-hmm. And she did. She remixed one of her old songs and put the Travis N-word in. black, by the way. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And he, you know, she remixed the N-word into her song and put it back out as a club mix. And he said, what is it? What are we going to do? Starting at, we're going to start adding N-words to old songs too, yeah. right? A, B, C, nigga, one, two, three. <laughs> <laughs> so, anyway, that's that's funny. This is um, what we're trying to say. It's like, yeah, you shouldn't say it, but it just, it, it, it depends on who's saying it, when they're saying it, why they're saying it. It's so hard to do. It's I hard mean, to do. And I don't know, I don't know that lady. Um, I think she was trying to be funny. But, she was, yeah. but it's hard it's to be hard funny, to Paula. It. <laughs> it's hard. And, 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 and it's a, you know, now everybody, the whole world is going against her. Um, yes. Well, I do like her recipe for chicken cacciatobe. <laughs> I do enjoy with just a little bit, you know. What was the other one? Special KKK. Yes. Um, hater tots. Hater tots. We've got... Um, uh, Trayvon Martinelli Spikeling Sparkling <laughs> Trayvon Martinelli 
sparkling apple juice. We've got Trayvon Martini. Yeah, Trayvon Martini. Yeah, Trayvon Martini. If you don't get the reference, if you probably live overseas, Trayvon Martin was shot and killed by a Latino gentleman in Southern Florida, and he was completely innocent. Well, at least at least he was. He was just walking around the neighborhood. Yes. And this Latino guy made a decision that he was a security. George Zimmerman thought he was a self-proclaimed. I guess he was some part of some neighborhood, neighborhood watch. watch. And the operator told him, please don't do anything. They send the police. The kid was completely innocent. You know, that's what yes. He was Unarmed. He was basically going home. And then... Uh, he had like... Sn- he went to the store for Skittles or something. Yeah. But now... I think this is an old... Somebody's already done this joke, I'm sure. But, you know, George Zimmerman is really fat now. Uh, arriving into court. So people are saying he probably killed Trayvon for the Skittles. It was like... <laughs> That's, I think somebody's already comics have already been saying that. But anyway, anyway go back. Okay, go, go back. The, the, the races of Mormon Church. So, yes, uh, you gotta understand the Mormon Church was founded by Joseph Smith, who was a charlatan of like you know the the umph degree. He had already been charged. He had already been to court. Um, he had already been fined for tricking people, lying to people. You know, he was a uh, he was a con man. He would come to your farm and he would say he could look at some rocks in a hat and tell you where gold was or where water is, for instance. And so he and his father got into trouble a few times. The problem with Joseph Smith is that he lived in the time of print. Um, he almost made it to photography. I mean, th- there's we know who he was, which is unusual. He, out of all of the, the, the three big prophets... Um, who are they? We've got, you know, Moses and Abraham are kind of neck and neck in Judaism. We have Jesus Christ in Christianity, and then we have Muhammad in... Oh, it's Dylan Greenspan. Islam. Of, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then Greenspan for the reserve. Um, so, yeah, we've got Muhammad, Jesus. I think Moses and Abraham are kind of neck, neck and neck. And then, in the Mormon religion, it's Abraham, it's Abraham Lincoln, it's Joseph Smith. So, Joseph... There's actually a picture of him, isn't there? Yes, I think maybe he did get to... There might be... Um, but I don't understand because for, 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 the, for those of us who are not Mormon, basically he, he heard a voice in the forest, angel, came yes. to him and talked to him about New He was wondering... He was in New York City, right? Oh, New York, yes. instead of New York. Yes, he was upstate New York, uh, a place called Palmyra. Okay. And he first uh, thought of the story because he had always told... He liked mythology and he liked Native American stories. And when he was a boy his brothers and sisters have, have written down and have testified how he would tell them. Yeah. He would regale them with all these exotic people and covered with feathers and having wars. You know, very much what ended up being the stories in the Book of Mormon later in his life. And so um, he would claim that he could read Egyptian hieroglyphs and he was this type of guy. The, the difference between all the other major figures of religion and Joseph Smith is Joseph Smith is documented. We have nothing about Allah. No one, no one can tell us, like, you know, if he had a scar on his cheek or things like that. Every, we know everything about Joseph Smith, which is strange. And so, even with but all of this documentation... Back, what? He heard a voice or a dream? Yeah, he said that, that he part. didn't know what religion he wanted to join. So, he went on into the woods okay. as a boy of about 14 or so and kneeled down in a wooded grove okay. and he said a prayer. And he said, I want to know which church to join O Lord because he read in James chapter 1 verse 5 if any of you lack wisdom let him ask of God um, and etc etc so he did and he said 
God and Jesus. Now, together, two dudes came down, floated in. There's many pictures. There's many depictions of of this. It's literal. It's not a metaphor. Jesus and God came down. You could have thrown a rock at them, right? They floated down, came to Joseph Smith in the woods, and told him, go home. You're going to start your own religion. So he did. He went to, you know, days later, or whatever, the angel Moroni shows up in his bedroom. I don't know who that is. Yes, it's, uh, he made that one up. So he so, shows so up. It's not in the in Old Testament, New Testament, somebody. No, but, but he's, he's, it's, it's a plagiarism of, of all of them. He took a little bit from, he took a little from Islam, where Angel Gabriel came to Muhammad in the cave. Okay. Joseph Smith, the Angel Gabriel also came to Joseph Smith to give him information. So he, he, he pulled that one over. Just like Christianity and Islam have Tana, pulled... Don't you think you, they say Angel Gabriel, Isis, schizophrenia? I exactly. Mean, they, these what, are, what, isn't it possible that maybe he had a mental illness or... Totally. And this guy also was a, a pure scam artist, a recorded newspaper article scam artist. And yet the Mormon church is just off to the races. It doesn't bother them that this guy is documented as a total scoundrel, as a total scumbag of sleeping around on his wife so much Joseph Smith? that he had to create the idea of polygamy. Mm-hmm. Joseph, how come you're fucking all these girls town to town? What? what do you mean? God told me. I mean, what are you talking? King Solomon had a bunch of wives. Excuse me. You know, so then he had to bring up polygamy. And then the richer guys, the higher up richer guys got to take on a bunch of wives. Because I also remember reading something about God, God or whoever, Gabriel, whoever told Joseph Smith to dig up a hole and find some treasure or Yes, the golden plates were hidden in the hill Cumorah in upstate New York. And he told them where they were. So Joseph Smith went and he dug them up. No one ever saw them. Um, and he was able to translate them with the help of a a breastplate and some stones that he looked through, seer stones. The Urim and the Thummim. He's making, you know, he, and he would research and find words and things to call things. But the seer stones comes from how he would rip people off to, I'll look at these rocks and tell you where gold is. Okay. So it, he's just, he, you know, then it comes from the stories of Indians when he was a boy. He also lived near Indian burial mounds and he loved the idea of artifacts and stuff like this. And so all of this finally came together with the story that he made up using different bits of other religions. You know, something like 60% or more of the Book of Mormon is actually the Bible. You you can literally paste them over each other in, in certain parts. So how did he make the Book of Mormon? Like, he wrote it? A lot of the Bible. He wrote it um, in, you know, sort of like 16th century English. Um, he's, he, it's, just a, it's just a plagiarism. It's actually pretty ham-handed. And when people say, like, the complexity of the Book of Mormon shows that it has to be real, they they don't understand people like J.R.R. Tolkien or Mark Twain or people that can create entire worlds out of their mind. And with languages, maps, topography, air currents, you know, ocean features, human beings can be very creative. Sure. And so making up a Book of Mormon, having the Bible to start with, is not a big feat. It just it really isn't. So, so did you spend a lot of time reading the Bible and the Book of Mormon? Both. Extensively as a child. Um, as a young Mormon kid, so I was totally like 
en- entranced by the idea that you could do some rituals, say some words, and call on the power of the Almighty Creator. That, that was pretty, you know, when you're a kid, you're saying, like, you, you can have laser beam eyes, and you can fly. It's, it's a pretty potent mix for a young brain that doesn't understand what the world is like yet. So, you're doing all this because it's encouraging school, it's encouraged through your family, and you're an extremely smart guy. Now, you, you have all this information, and then one day when you're reading the Bible, having a discussion in the class, somebody said, God punished the wicked by darker skin. Now, yes. you you're half white, have Samoan, yes. so you're, you're, going, you're naturally darker than most yes. of your classmates in Utah. So what's... And there's a... Uh, there's there's a, a it would bother me. Like, I'm sitting in a sea of white kids to see my skin is darker than the rest of the class. And then in the Book of Mormon basically saying, you're, yes. you're a group of... <laughs> if, of course. You're a group of the key people who are considered wicked and punished by God. And you're sitting there as the only brown kid in class and you feel all the eyeballs turn to you and you just hear in your head like, you... You know, like... There you are. You're what the book is talking about. You're the pile of shit that was cursed, and you're in a chair next to me. I mean, that's what they're doing to the brains of these children. Sicking them on, the poor and the brown. And there's a wink-wink in the Mormon church when they talk about the curse of the brown skin. They don't really mean the Latinos. They don't really mean the Polynesians or the Eskimos or the Native Americans. They, uh, they do mean black people. And so, yes. So being in the seventies, right? Why could my dad hold the priesthood? He wasn't black. He was brown. He would be considered a son of layman. But there's a little more leeway when you're an Asian guy or you know a Mexican guy. They the church has uneasiness with those browns, but with black people, that's what the curse meant. Can you explain, because we had this conversation yesterday, you said they don't necessarily use the N-word, they don't necessarily say uh, uh, too obvious of a, they don't yeah. use the obvious language, No. but you give me an example yesterday, during Halloween, the white Mormons would use certain language to tell you that they didn't, how, how would you, how well, you say that again? They, uh, you'll hear it, it's at the, um, you know, it's sort of, it's on the end of a phrase. Okay. It's it's in the turn of a sentence where you hear the racism and you see it everywhere. And, oh, um, where are you kids from? You know, oh, we're from the, oh, we don't see in this neighborhood. Well, trick or treat, well, here you go. You know, oh, you, you probably don't live around here. Thanks for being here. That kind of talk. That kind of awareness that you're different. That kind of constant... We know you're not us, but we're happy you're here, and we hope you have fun. It's it's it's, it's that. It's always that. It's always that in the Mormon. To, to their credit, I never thought Mormons seem malicious group. No, and there's some now again. There's wonderful, beautiful, sweet Mormon people, as there are sweet people, and there are people that are in the Mormon Church that don't take it that seriously. They're not upset at the the Charlotte. Ness of Joseph Smith. They, they don't need to get into the the yeah, nuance yeah. of the racism. They, they enjoy the family, the togetherness. It's like a- any any more that you could be a Catholic and you could be outraged by molestation church. Totally, but they still stay. And yeah. so there are a lot of good Mormons that that are lovely, honest, charitable, beautiful people. And it's arbitrary that they're a Mormon. Sure, and then and like like last election, 
uh, Mitt Romney, former governor of Mass. Yes. You know, he struck me very clueless when it comes to different race and demographic of the country. Yes. It's really changing. And I didn't really care for him because he didn't seem, I don't know. My gut feeling was I didn't really care for him. He's a Mormon. But you also have uh, John Huntsman, yes. also a Mormon, former ambassador to China, former yep. President Obama, Republican candidate, former governor of Utah. He strikes me like a pretty decent guy. He speaks Mandarin Chinese. His daughter uh, adopted a Chinese girl. Yes. I don't hold him against him simply because he's Mormon because he seems like a pretty decent guy. Yes. And not literally believe everything the church is telling and now, him. And now, if I was going to hitch my wagon to a religion in this country, it would be the Mormons. Because of all the rips in the beginning in the racism talk, at least the Mormons, I think, are the only major religion that have a chance to be more righteous than the others. They have a chance to be more secular, more open. They don't go back to a 2,000-year-old book in the Middle East like the others. They have the option to be more flexible, to be more fashion-forward, and to be more American. You remember, Jesus Christ came to America, according to the Mormons. The Garden of Eden was in Missouri, according to the Mormons. The book of Mormon, the plates that the Book of Mormon is written from were found in New York. You know, <laughs> New York! And so, it it's, really, it's it a completely really, American entity. Sure. It all happened here. And that's, that's a very potent mix. It's a very patriotic mix. It says, go ahead and be a Jew. Go ahead and be a Muslim. You're not from here. Mormons get to say that. They say that our religion was born on this land. And Joseph Smith had enough savvy to understand that that is a big part of what makes a religion stick. You've got to put it in the dirt. And Muhammad said that, you know, um, this is our Mecca. You know, this is where Allah lives. He's here. Gabriel came to me here. So In a a cave. Yes. And then Mount Sinai, the Dome under the Rock. These are serious. These are in the dirt, and Joseph Smith was savvy enough to know to do that. The other competitors for religions around him, okay, the Mennonites started then, the Quakers started then, the Amish began. All upstate New York, Pennsylvania, mid early 1800s. All of them were battling. Why did Mormonism win? Why did they? Because he was the only one to stick it in the dirt. He was the only one to say, you know what? I don't want to go to Bible references back to the Middle East all the time. That's what the Amish were doing. That's what everybody was... Nobody could think of another way. Joseph Smith said, a new book, and I'm sticking it in this dirt. So he won. And the Mormons are coming around with gayness. They made a huge leap in evolution by saying that now they know that gay people are born gay. God did make you gay. But it's still a challenge that you need to resist. And although that sounds pretty, still, I don't know, pretty backwards, it's a huge advancement to say that these people are, it was not a choice. Once again, I don't don't care for religion, but at least, at least they don't seem malicious about it. I mean, you don't hear a group of Mormon people beating a gay person to it. Well, they're the most, the malleable, they're the most able to be manipulated by politics which makes them the best one that's the one to hook to because they will acknowledge 
what the people in their community want and they will change the religion for the people. They admit it. I mean, they call it revelation, but when, when the government said, you must let black people hold all your offices or when the Civil Rights Act, blah, 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 we're going to take away these different rights, tax breaks, etc. So the Mormon church quite easily had another revelation that said, oh, black people are included now. Um, they, they're great. When the pressure of gay people gets too high, what did they do? Mormons own over 60% of all the Boy Scout charters in the nation. The Wait, Boy Scout, right? yes, the Boy Scout program is a Mormon program. They have full that. influence on it. And what did the Mormons just do? They said that gay scouts can openly participate in Boy Scouts. They they turned that creed that they did not create. The Mormons, what was his name? Baden Powell, whoever made up the Boy Scouts. Um, it was intentionally for. I don't know anything about Boy Scouts. God, culture, be clean, thrifty, brave, honest, you know, clean and reverent. I'm from Japan. People, when, yeah. when, when people try to send us to camp, we have a big problem with it, so we, well, do, um, we deal with that bullshit before. So Japan does you don't have Boy Scouts? The Jews do. They're called the Oi Scouts. No. <laughs> <laughs> Oi Scouts. So the but, Mormon, but, but, the reason why gay scouts can now serve, not can now be part, is the Mormons. Now, now people, they're sneaking under the radar. People don't see this happening. They just go, well, God damn it, right. You know, we won. Now gay scouts can be openly in the gay. I go, it's a victory for people that wanted it to happen, but it's more of a victory for the religion that's saying we're willing to change for you guys like this. That's very savvy. It's, it's just, they, they're they not going to miss out on a dollar. The Catholic Church will. They'll defend weirdo robed pedophiles till they die nobody knows why mormons would never do that if that happened they would vilify that person totally shun them write articles about them and say that they wish that person was dead they just wouldn't have to do that the catholic church has to do that um the the jewish church religion it has to be ancient it can't change the mormons aren't stuck like that the mormon tabernacle choir is america's choir they are, they've served with, you know, Yoshi, you're, you're more of a presidential guy than me. There have been um, labor ministers. Uh, what are these guys that do? Agriculture um, people. Basically, what I'm saying is dozens of cabinet positions have been held right next to presidents by Mormon men. One of the most prominent persons that I actually have a lot of respect for is, I hope I'm saying his name right. Brent Scrollcraft. He was a national security advisor or yes. secretary of defense or something. But he's somebody I have a lot of real, uh, a lot of respect. I think he worked a lot with Nixon. Very strong foreign policy and elder statesman for yes. sure. And he's Mormon, but he's never made his Mormon religion an issue. I, I just completely respect him and his opinion about foreign policy and a great American and a great patriot. You know? Yes. I mean, you know, like like I said. I just think it's funny that one religious group of people will pick another religious group. Like people, it is say, silly. Like, they will say stuff like, "Why does Mormon believe that this is nonsense?" I'm like, well, shit that you believe is nonsense too. It's as silly as I mean. I'm with their story as much as I'm with any story. I like, go, oh, go ahead, Jews. Okay, uh, Moses is on a mountain, 
and God came down and scratched some shit in a rock with his finger. Okay, who's next? Well, how about this one? There's this, this chick, no one ever fucked her, but she had a baby, and uh, he allowed himself to be sacrificed so your sins can be washed away. Next, right? Okay, here's this guy, illiterate, couldn't read in a cave. An and angel, angel Gabriel showed up. Married a six-year-old. Wait a minute. He's not a pervert. Didn't fuck her till nine. <laughs> I knew what you were going to say about six. Okay? <laughs> I knew what you were going to say. But Muhammad had enough wisdom and learning and love of God. He didn't fuck her till nine. So, sorry. Thought you got me again. <laughs> no. So, anyway, they're all stupid. They're all sick. They're all perverted. They're all dumb. So, if Joseph Smith, some guy who you know told you he could find water in your yard by looking at rocks sure slept around on his wife was a megalomaniac who finally got himself killed for um destroying a printing press um fine but why isn't his story as valid as all the other stories i i added in as the same and that's one thing that's hidden from when they say joseph smith was martyred so, he he so, smashed up the printing press with a mob. Well, well, not him. He sent a mob of guys. I, to, th- I, I thought he got tried in Illinois or something for polygamy. Or was that was no? That, was it his descendant? There was there was a guy who started a paper. I believe it was called the the Nauvoo something. This is in Illinois, and he printed a story about Joseph Smith. Okay. I think it was in his first first one, his first publication. It was so important for this guy to get out the word that this scoundrel was in the streets. He's going to sleep with your wife. He's going to steal your children. He's going to take your money. He's made up this kooky religion. Look out for him. Well, Joseph Smith got so pissed. This is Remember, this is the first time the press even got used, I believe. A mob of Mormon men went there and smashed at the printing press. Now, to break up a printing press in the mid-1800s is to blow up a TV station. It is to burn up a satellite feed link. It's an unbelievable act of terrorism to have smashed up a printing press in that time, considering there may have been a hundred on the planet. Wait, but, go, it's, but what was the case where... Oh, there's more than that. There was another case where in Illinois group of men lynch a couple of Mormons for trying for polygamy or something? Do you, do you know that story? There are different mob stories and tarring and feathering stories about, you know, they find guys with more than one wife. So they eventually would, they moved to Salt Lake City. That's the story, they, right? They were always shoved around, yes. Uh, New York, Illinois, Missouri, um, where they left little towns behind. Joseph Smith would gather more money, um, get more loans, get more money from rich merchants and farmers. And, um, he at one time formed his own militia. He made himself a mayor. He was printing his own money. Um, more and more, as he became a problem, they kept shoving further and further west till finally they walked all the way out of America. At the time that the Mormons landed in Salt Lake City, Salt Lake City it was Mexico, or it was it was muddy. There wasn't. The, the Ameri- oh, you know, America know had no city. Yeah, so they, had, they didn't run to Utah. They ran out of America. They ran beyond the border so they could start something new. It, it's constantly what the Mormons are always trying to do is be separate, be themselves. So by the time it became part of the Union, yes. they were already well-established in Salt Lake City. And 
what was the final factor for them being like sort of annexed as a state, being brought in by the federal government? What was the run rule the government asked for? Get rid of the multiple life rule. And they, I'm sorry, wife. And they did. So the government said, look, you get no federal annexation, is that the right word? Without getting rid of this polygamy shit, right? Again, that's how flexible the Mormons are. They said a prayer. Well, let's be frank, polygamy exists even now. It's just hidden. Yes, now it's in these like little camps, you know. Um, and the idea of polygamy, whatever it started as, Joseph Smith trying to whatever, however it died out, these camps have become sort of pedophile camps. The polygamy cultures now are, they, they exist for men to have sex with children. And that's... It's always strange to me that uh, you can't have sex with like under 18, whatever, but many states in the states will make exception. If you marry the kid, you can fuck the kid. Yes, that's... Mar- the, mar- the piece of paper saying you're yes. married to a kid allows you legally, you could have sex with a kid. Well, um, Beyonce is at fault there. You know, she said, if you want, if you want to put a ring on it, I'm like, is that it? Here, <laughs> come here, little Stanley. So I, I you know, I could only record a little bit longer on this thing. We'll, right. we'll talk more about uh, Mormon Jews, but the point, like I said, it must have been really weird growing up, mixed feelings, because you're a smart guy, and a book of Mormon saying if you have a darker skin, you're a bad person. So you must have some mixed feeling growing up, right? Yes, I, I used to wonder how are these white kids going to ever get this out of their minds. How are they going to ever get it out? It's been boom, 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 dark skin, dark skin, evil, 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 evil. What do they mean to you? Um, kids? No, no, not that, you know, kids are never mean. Kids always love each other's company. Um, but as you get older, the adults start to leak in their feelings. And then you start to see the disparity of wealth and income. Sure. And only certain kids will still latch on and be your friend. So when did you realize, like, you're not really Mormon anymore? What age? Around um, when you left home? No, maybe you know, twelve, thirteen, maybe. Oh, that young? Yeah, I, I realized that the power is not real. But this is not a conversation you had with your dad and mom. No, no, no. You have to hide this from them because they, you know, they're sensitive and they've lived their whole lives with it. Sure. And, and they wish the best for you. They love you. They wanted this religion to have the structure and the foundation to send you on to a good moral life. Mm-hmm. And it's they're hoping for the best, but you know. But did your dad ever suspect that, that you didn't really believe in it? I don't think so. You know, because I really did go. I loved all my friends who were Mormon. I, sure. I loved the meetings and the activities. It was it was my only social outlet. So I enjoyed it, but I also knew that it's not real. When you tell a child these things, you know, fast and pray, uh, ask with a open heart, with a pure mind, ask God and he will tell you. After you're a child, and, and you have no bad thoughts, you haven't cursed yet, you're only 10. And you're, you've been reading these religious books, you know that they're true, they tell you about the powers, and after you mix that recipe over and over again, on your knees, in a quiet place, after you fasted for two days, ask the Lord for help, ask Him for clarity, ask Him for truth, nothing ever came. There's not, and so you have to give it up after a while. You have to say there's nothing here. You can't just keep saying, am I not doing it right? Oh, did you face west? Yes. Okay, next time, part your hair in the middle. Did you do that? Yeah. Okay, next time, drink a glass of milk. Next time, you know, it's after a while you have to admit that you are being tricked. And there is no voice coming because there's nobody there. 
And I was lucky to get that pretty early in life. And then had to, of course, hide it. You hide it from the people around you because they're sensitive and they really need it. And you wait until people can handle the truth before, you know, you expose it all. But early on, I knew I knew I wasn't going on a mission. I, no way. I knew I wasn't going. I joined, the, I joined the Marine Corps at 17 years old. And, 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 and to try to convince that, uh, explain to people, is just strange to me because, you know, you were, all, you were kind of telling me, like, there was times even there was not enough food for everyone. You thought you would make everyone's life easier if there's one less person to feed. So yes. a lot of people, including myself, when I was 16 or 17, I couldn't even imagine even joining the uh, U.S. military. But you joined because you thought that living in Marine Corps would be easier on everyone. And when you joined, did yes. you tell me, like, life of a Marine was way easier than living under uh, the Mormon religion? And, and, and Yeah, the discipline of it, when you come from a disciplined life, the discipline of the military isn't that big a deal. It, it actually, it pales in comparison sure. to living under a disciplined life. Um, you know it's going to be temporary. You know the boot camp is almost like a costumed opera. It's just to get you trained and get you to move on to the next level. And so I joined the Marine Corps to really honor my parents and we the first and one their in the time. Family joined military. Mm -hmm. And it's because I wasn't going to go on a mission. I knew that I knew who Joseph Smith was. I knew what he had created. I know that there is no God. I know that everything that I feel, hear, sense is coming from inside my skull. And so I wasn't going to go on a mission. I wasn't going to continue the charade. But I wanted to honor my parents and do something. And this was a very nice way of you not saying no to mission, missionary yes. and disrespecting your parents. So you really had a, uh, you know, even, I, even Mormon church is not going to say, don't serve your country. Exactly, right? exactly. Yeah. So I knew that this was definitely... The win-win situation. Yes, yep. And so people would think Tana's going to go to a disciplined environment. He's going to be made into a man. and all that. So that's all good things. I think good for Tana. He's going to serve our country. He's going to get dedicate himself to freedom and democracy, etc. And I knew that's something I'd be able to do. I didn't even trust that the Navy or the Army or the Air Force would be enough. That, that even my father might have said, You're going to join the Air Force? instead of going on your mission, you know, like, sure. but the Marine Corps shuts everybody up. They realize, like, wow, if a young man is going to have that, that dedication and that patriotism, you should let him do it. And so that's what I did. And my father was the only person that came to the graduation ceremony out, out of all my relatives or family. And he was there in his Easter suit, his blue Easter suit with the vest and everything. And for my father, you know, this an immigrant learning the language you know blah 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 from where he was born to be there in the stands dressed in his best he had flown over on his own to be standing there watching one of his children graduate as a member of the United States Marine Corps after they just watched a film and they had a little uh, sort of introduction to what we went through in boot camp he couldn't have been prouder and I know how important patriotism is to him. You know, my dad is one of these immigrants that America's the best. America's the best, you know, even better than where he's from. 
and people don't understand when they when they poo-poo immigrants and these goddamn immigrants. I go, do you know these immigrants can love this country more than you and you were born here? Don't you know that a lot of these immigrants think that about this country? Absolutely. More than you? And my dad was like that. This country was great. This is the best place to be on the whole planet. And he couldn't join the military because of his immigration status. But he loved John Wayne movies. He loved, you know, Tarawa, did Iwo Jima. A citizen? Of course, okay. yeah. Um, he got a citizenship and all that. But he missed his chance. And I, I knew what kind of movies he liked, westerns. We'd stay up late at night and watch um, Maverick and, you know, uh, all these Clint Eastwood, Hang Him High, Fistful of Dollars. <clears throat> and the good, the bad, and the, good, the bad, and the ugly. So, so my dad was a very clearly moral guy. Like all these war movies and westerns, it's good and bad. There's no nuance. There's no in between. And so, joining the Marine Corps, I knew that he had a real sense of pride. That one of my child, I came to America, and one of my children is in that uniform, has that flag on his shoulder. And, you know, just like the movies. You know what I mean? Just like... And so when we'd have events on base where family could come and visit the base and get in the tanks and get in the trucks and look at all the big guns, my dad would come to some of those. And he just... I could tell it was it was like a child because his whole life watching these movies and, and here he is in the proximity to these machines in this world of defending freedom. Speaking of he that... He loved it. Speaking of that... Because that's probably true with ninety percent immigrant loving yes. this film, made by American American films. Be, you know, some people might think it's goofy, but it exemplifies ideals of this country. People like that. But, yes. But there's an interesting connection with your family, since your dad liked movies a lot. Uh, rock is somehow related to your family, Dwayne Johnson. There For is. For those of you who are not a fan of wrestling, Dwayne Johnson is one of the uh, greatest wrestler and. Uh, probably one of the if not the biggest movie yes. stars to come out of wrestling. wrestling yeah I think easily the biggest entertainer actor action hero to come out of wrestling by far way way back during the Scorpion King when he when he like took it over um, so for those his, of you he's half black half Samoan yes his okay. father's black, black. his Mother. mother's Samoan okay and his grandfather Peter Mayava on, is, side. on his mother's side so the Mayava family my aunt is married to Mayavas and so my uh, cousins so, so their so last name is Mayava so so we'd have to see my my so, aunt's so husband dad, so your dad's sister is married to yes one of the Rock's relatives married to okay, okay. so we're like a third cousin marriage like it's not hard there's not there's only a few hundred thousand Samoans. Samoans ever on the planet and even the even when you get into the mixed Samoans the half whites or the half Asians or Mexican or whatever there's just not that many of us it's pretty easy through genealogy to like connect us with only a few jumps so your dad's sisters married to the family of the rock Dwayne Johnson's mother's side yes okay Yep, um, and it, it gets pretty quick. And all we'd have to do is ask a few times. And then my cousin Taylor is the uh, the big guy on Hawaii, Hawaii Five O. Mm-hmm. 
And so we're because of the culture it's an entertaining culture that we've developed for ourselves so it's easy to give it to the people when you leave Samoans alone there's always dancing parties rehearsals programs that we put on family to family a wedding's coming up we all got to get together for rehearsal it's not that you show up to hoot and holler we practice we, we meet somewhere, we practice, we want, the, we want it to look good. Yeah. And this is for no money. It's just part of the culture. And I've seen you do some uh, fire dance. Very impressive. Yes. But the most interesting thing was when we were hanging out with the, my our, our friend David Joe, you did different variation of Polynesian dance. It was interesting when you had Tahiti people did it this way. Yes. Samoan did it this way. Tongan people did it this way. Well, I don't even know what's other Polynesian groups. Most of the groups I work I've worked with, you would cover Hawaii, Hawaii. Tahiti, Fiji, Fiji, Tonga, Samoa, and New Zealand. Oh, is that right, New Zealand? Oh, the Maori. New Zealand is the Hakka. The Maori people. Yeah. Uh, Tahiti, of course, is the grass skirts and the, the, the things in the hands. Uh, the Hawaiian is a lot of chanting, stomping. Samoans is the kind of most happy, the most sort of bouncy, a lot of, a lot of head quirky moves. Yeah, they're, they're separated by, you know, they're very, to us, they're very distinct, the different styles of dancing and the costuming. And so as you're a child, you just learn all of that. It's just natural to you all get together. You're always singing and dancing and making up new stuff. And so it's why many Polynesians make very easy entertainers. It's not a difficult transition. We're, we, we're born in front of people. There's a, there's a newspaper article, picture, there's a picture from a newspaper article of me being carried off the stage by my aunt and I'm all dressed up in my little hula gear and I'm crying. She's carrying me away and I'm three years old. Why are you crying? I, don't, I probably didn't like it. I don't know. You know, I was probably nervous that <laughs> yeah. people were yelling. I didn't, you know, I don't know. I'll try to guess what a three-year-old's thinking. <laughs> but that's how far it goes back. My feet were on the stage sure. even at that age. And so it's something that's it's hard to describe to people because they, they are used to a Walt Disney program, a, a, a Britney Spears build-up of training, dancing, you know, singing lessons, etc. But there's a natural, organic version of that in our culture that the children start dancing, singing, and being entertainers very young. It's a way to be a pleasure to the older people. And it's a way to make people laugh and make people happy and so it's it, Samoan people like they almost all can sing they're very musically talented and when you talk about harmonies and when you talk about being musically talented you're talking about really thinking you're talking about these some sort of mathematical brains that find an ease with that with rhythms and uh, harmonies and things so there definitely is something to, I think, the Polynesian people, the Samoan people, very specifically, because they've been stuck out on an island group for so long, you're going to become your own entity, and I think definitely they are, and entertainment, and singing, and music, and being the rock, is is it definitely a part of the culture. Pleasing people, making people happy. Is he the most famous Samoan? Is he like the Obama of Samoan people? He's got to be by now. And he's only, yeah, and he's half. So, and I'm only half. And Greg Luganis is half. And so... Oh, that's right. I forgot he's Samoan. Yeah, that's so there's a, there's a lot of halves. Um, 
But then the most and, famous and, and, Simone, I guess the rock. Oh has wait, to wait, be. wait, wait, wait. But there was also a, a Junior Seau who used to play in NFL. Yes, yes, and who um, you know killed himself. See, that's a very now. There's a very Samoan thing to do. He knew his brain was going bad. He was having episodes. Sure. Rage. He was honest. For those of you who don't uh, follow American NFL, American football, he was one of the great defensive players. Very nice guy in community. I even met him once in Seattle. Of all time. All time. N- nobody would joke around in a sports bar and talk him down. They wouldn't talk his role down in the NFL. No one would do that. They would never go. Hey, it was okay. He played the game. It's not that kind of talk around Junior Seau. It's like he was one of the most beloved, respected yes. guy. And and uh, and I think what maybe two years ago he what did he do? He I drew, think he shot himself in the chest and killed himself. He killed himself because he was going through the same brain stuff that other players had gone through. And the reason why these guys shoot themselves in the chest is so that they want their brain studied. To further the research into concussions and brain traumas that happen in football. And I think he tried to kill himself one time trying trying to drive over a cliff. Yes. He survived and basically said he, I don't know what was, he made an excuse. Well, I think he made an excuse, something about falling yeah. asleep or whatever. But um, yeah, you, you, you receive as many hit trauma and physical ailments like his, you know. But to uh, even have enough wherewithal to say, you know what? I'm not even going to destroy my brain. I think it's the brain. I'm going to shoot myself in the chest. I mean, it's such a, you know, it's it's very Japanese almost in its honor. You know, like, even though I've been abusive mm-hmm. and I've shown rage and da-da-da. On the field. I, uh, yes. I still feel like there. I, I can a, help people. You I can have, still study my brain. And I have some uh, uh, contribution to make. Yeah, yeah. Just as like when, I don't know how much they still do that, they said in like different Asian cultures, when they feel like they have no contribution to make, suicide's pretty easy. Like there's no, oh well, that's it, I lost my job at the plant. But he did that. I can't imagine shooting yourself in the chest and then telling people to like study your brain. But you know who else did that? This is a pretty big leap. Did you know the guy that shot from the tower at that university? In Texas, he had a brain trauma. And he knew it, too. He said, there's something wrong with my... I can't stop something. Please uh, please study my brain when I'm dead. And they found it. This is like the late 50s, early 60s. Yes. What is it, Houston? It Mm -hmm. was the biggest tolling tower. He had a high-power rifle. He was shooting people. And some Texas police officer finally went up. They shot the guy dead. But when they, they check his brain... There's definitely something was not right. Like yeah, straight his brain. There was some a tumor pushing on the amygdala or something, something like, that. like that. Yeah. Yeah. And that changes it all for me. It changes it all. It if you understand the brain and how it works, you understand how it can be controlled. You so know So if you playing as physical sports as American football and you 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 know damage your brain, of course you're gonna change it personality in person and yes the way you see the world you won't have a choice you know if, a, if the piece of your brain gets damaged that has to do with speech you're either not going to talk or you have to start over it's just not fancy that when you damage the brain it's over i mean you've done some awful shite so yes he went through that mm-hmm. uh killed himself and 
He was it's, the most prom- one of the most prominent Samoan for sure. Yes, and it shows how hard that game. Now, of course, he played it for a long, long time, yeah. but it shows how brutal that game for a Samoan's head to get knocked around. <laughs> if you can hurt, <laughs> that's a tough game. Yes, that's a rough game. So, you know, we're famous, you know, in wrestling, the the thick skull of the Samoan. I don't. I think some early Samoan wrestlers, you know, started that. And then sort of Vince McMahon really pushed it. So now it's famous in... There's there's a many truths in wrestling. Sure. But one of them certainly is, do not headbutt the Polynesians. <laughs> that's, that's, that's been built into wrestling over the decades. It's something that everyone knows about. Um, if there's ever a white guy in wrestling and he's going to headbutt the Samoan guy, mm-hmm. the crowd tells him no. <laughs> like... Don't do it! And then he'll headbutt the Samoan guy, and the white guy always falls down. It's funny. I think I have maybe nine minutes of this thing. So, okay. So, you know, we'll we'll keep talking upcoming episodes with, you know, more conversation, current events or something. But um, how, how's, uh, how's your mom doing as far as, like, did you tell your mom, like, you don't really believe in it, you don't go to church? Does it bother her? No, I... Over time, she's come to enough comedy shows where that's definitely understood. There was one time she was saying something about my new nephew. I had a young nephew who was a year, a couple years old, and maybe younger. And my mother said, I overheard her saying, we've got to take, you know, Jacob to the church, you know, to have him blessed. And I'm thinking, Mom, I, I'll do it. Let me bless him. Like, like, how about his family who will care for him his entire life? Sure. Why don't we have a ceremony? Like, what does it mean to take one of our relatives off to a white guy in a church? I, I don't want to say white guy. Like, it could, it, could, it could be one of our own. Sure. It could be a Samoan person blessing him. But what's the use of that? And so she knows I have this kind of like... Joseph, come here. I'll bless you. Here, one, two, three. Your uncle loves you. <laughs> Good night. It's like it's like I, she knows I'm like sarcastic with it, and but it's the love of the family is never gone. Yeah, that's it has never anything love the to family do. Family override, no matter how much you think it's superstitious, whatnot. You Always, still, you still do that for your mom. Always. Okay. Yeah, it's it's fair enough. The problem with religions is how seriously people take them. Religions are fine if. They're funny. If we use them when babies are born, let's use religion when we get married. Hey, no, religion's not funny. We, we can make funny things about them, but yeah. in general, it's not funny. Is it? No, because it tries to do too many things. Religions are good for three things. Births, marriages, death. and death. Let's let's use that. Let's go, oh, time to get religious. Why? Just had a baby. Oh, yeah. Let's religious it up tonight. It's fun. Let's... Let's say God is here. Let's bless him. Let's drip water over the baby. Let's light candles. It's fun. We're just hoping for the best for this new child on the planet. It's it's goofy. It's lighthearted. Um, same thing when you're getting married. Under God, do you take under God, under God? Yeah, okay, whatever. It's fun. It's all, we're just, our family and friends want to support you in this union of love. It's like, fine, somebody dies. Oh, she's in heaven. We're going to see her again. Yay. That's all. Leave it. Leave it in these places. But when it comes down to, uh, what should we do about abortion? Religion has nothing to say. What should we do about political uh, problems, feeding the poor? What should we do about 
military issues and medical issues and women's issues, on and on and on. Religion has nothing to do with that and should have nothing to do with that. That's what the Founding Fathers thought would be a good idea, to not let them into shit. Don't let them in. We already did that in Europe. Leave them out. But yet, unfortunately, that's not the way it is. But I think religions have a purpose as a superstitious, fun, light-hearted, ceremonial thing that we use when it's necessary, like happy birthday. I don't, well, have, I don't have a problem with just when they take it literally. That's yeah, that's, that's what ruins it. Keep it, like, we don't right. sing happy birthday every day and have a cake at every meal. Mm-hmm. But when it's someone's birthday, let's do that ceremony. Let's have a cake, let's light it. But then it's not like the next day they go, you know, birthday people don't like faggots. I go, look, the birthday was yesterday. <laughs> not, we're not doing that anymore. It doesn't carry off into our lives. I, I just don't understand why it have to be literally true to have some kind of value because what's the story about um, the rabbit and a turtle are racing? Yes. Okay, we know there was no such a race, but if you listen to the story, read to your kids, it's teaching the value of endurance and you know never giving up. And, yes. You know, don't be so arrogant about it, right? Slow and steady wins the race. Yeah, and, so, yeah. But why does it have to be real to have some sort of value? It doesn't have to be real. It doesn't. You know? And people get sensitive. I mean, you know, if you're not bothering other people, I don't really care. But, um, yeah, it doesn't have to be literally... It doesn't have to be literal. Um, not to me, but it does to a lot of people that it literally is. It's, when, not, it's not worth killing people getting killed for it. And when you hear people say, like, phrases like, you know, the Koran has answers for everything in life... You just, you feel, you know, I can, it sucks because you can never be a friend with that person. You know, you just, you can never get close to them and know because if they're saying that they believe that there's one book, there's only one book that you need on this planet, there's nowhere for me to start with that person as a human. I, I, I'm not going to be able to connect. If you're saying that you really think there's a group of words in a book that have closed out all the understanding we're, we're going to need about our humanity... It's so silly and small that it disappoints me because there's a lot of good, smart people that are that are stuck in religion and they, they don't know how to get out of it. And I don't want to I don't want to argue because it's just waste. You can't. It, it, it's just a waste of time. But at the end of the day, you really can because they take it as faith, mm-hmm. blind faith. And if you accept something not because of rational reason, you just accept. And I can't. I'm not, I don't. I don't want to argue. You just accept because you do. That's yeah. It. There's nothing really more to say, and I. Good luck to you. I tip my hat to you. It's great that you could really believe in that deeply in something that you. I don't think it's you could prove it, but yeah, I'm not comfortable with it. But you know, people are comfortable with believing it because they do. So there's no point to argue. So no. You know. Um, hey. we're running out of time. I just want to make sure everyone get to your web Twitter account. What's your Twitter account? At Tana Manu, uh, T-E-I-N-A-M-A-N-U. And do you get tired when people keep saying Tina Manu? Yes. I used to say, like, I used to go, I'm at Tana Manu, just like, it's, just like it sounds. Yeah, T-E-I-N-A-M-A-N-U. That's yes. Twitter account. Do you have other websites? And TanaManu.com is uh, my comedy website and I mostly go through Twitter and Vine so if you go on Twitter that it's really where I'm at it's where I post pictures little videos and then little Those videos are really funny little jokes um, so yeah m- 
Twitter's the easiest way to contact, and that's where I'm at the most. Facebook, I don't, I'm, I'm never on. I, it's too much to have to bring all that up sure. and scroll through it all. So, twitter.com slash T-I-N-A-M-A-N-U. Yes. All right. Well, I don't know what we're going to call like Tana Tuesdays or something or Tana Thursdays. We or can. Whatever. Yeah. Whatever, um, but um, I'm trying to add two to three episodes per week. So, the Monday show will be guaranteed every Monday. So, we'll try to do Tuesday every Tuesday, but it uh, depends on our schedule. So, we'll release it when we can. And uh, next time when we talk, I'll, 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 I'll be talking more, but, you know... We didn't we didn't even start to get into porn, ladies and gentlemen. Tanner's the one who got me in the porn business, too, so we'll talk about that next time. Yeah, <laughs> it's fine, it's fine. Well, we're done with Mormons. All right, guys, next time, porn. porn. <laughs> so book a Mormon, too. Book a porn. So, yeah, <laughs> we'll, we'll do that. The porn will be then uh, episode two of you and I talking about something. So, you know, yes. I'll ask your opinion about it. And uh, we'll talk soon. But yeah, I only have 40 seconds. So everyone, thanks for listening. Sorry it was sloppy. And I know it's really loud driving on the road. But uh, hopefully next one, uh, maybe episode three and four will be clear. Hopefully. All right, guys. Thanks. Thanks.